Listening to the Common Fan Podcast, a Husker football podcast for the common fan by the common fan. Welcome back to the Common Fan Podcast. I am TJ Burkle, as always, alongside Maddie Owens, Sr. and Geoff in Lincoln. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at common fan GBR. So you can keep up with all the fun and frivolity right along with the common fans. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, and all the major podcast streaming platforms. Hey, it's the off season. There's plenty of intrigue, plenty of debates about how many games the Huskers might win, which players might be starters this year, maybe which quarterback might start for the Huskers this year and on and on. But one thing all Husker fans can agree on is Nebraska's own certified Piedmontese beef. This premium Nebraska product is raised and grazed in the Nebraska Sandhills and it is top notch common fans. Visit your local Mercado butcher shop 30th and Yankee Hill or 84th and Havelock in Lincoln and 162nd and Maple in Omaha. You can also check out cpbeef.com to get certified Piedmontese products shipped right to your front door anywhere in these United States. I know Geoff and Lincoln smoked some beef tips recently, and Sunday night at the Burkle home was New York strip night. It's all delicious. You can't go wrong. Get to your local Mercado butcher shop or visit cpbeef.com, certified Piedmontese beef, fueling the Husker football team and fueling the common fan podcast. Our next guest covers football and baseball for the Omaha world Herald. You're going to want to follow him for all the latest Husker news, common fans. He's also a co-host of the pick six podcast, which is a favorite of the common fans alongside his world Herald colleagues, Sam McEwen and Tom Chattel. We are of course talking about Evan Bland Evan, thanks so much for joining the Common Fans today. You got it, guys. How's it going today? It's going great. It's going pretty well. Good. It's going pretty well. How thanks are you? Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. This is great. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're excited to have you, and uh, all the Common Fan listeners are excited to have you as well. So, uh, Evan, one thing I know, we know baseball season, college baseball season anyway, is in full swing now. This is a Husker football podcast, uh, as is stated in our in our guiding principles and founding documents. Um, but we have been granted a partial waiver uh, from the Common Fan Board of Directors to ask a few baseball questions if there's time at the end. So, so we'll look forward to that. Um, how long have you been at the World Herald now, Evan? Uh, so I was a Nebraska grad in 2008 and caught on with the World Herald. Uh, a few months after that. So I've been there since 2009 and did high school for a few years in Western Iowa. And so I've been covering Nebraska athletics. I mean, I did it in college back in the mid two thousands, but this is my uh, eighth season doing it for football and baseball now. So you were at the daily Nebraskan. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it was great. I, I love the daily Nebraskan. It was a great place to make mistakes and try different things. And uh, the theme in the mid two thousands is the theme now, which was trying to get to a bowl game and transition. And, uh, you know, the, the more things change, the more they unfortunately sort of stay the same in my experience. <laughs> Time is a but, flat circle, right? That's right. Exactly. So, but it was great. Uh, 
So you and you you started covering the Huskers for the World Herald in what 2016, 2017? Riley era? 2017. Riley's last year. Yep. Okay. Okay. So I mean you cover, but I mean you, if you were at the Daily Nebraskan, you covered what Callahan and Polini. You covered mm-hmm. Riley Frost, now Coach Rule. Which kind of curious, like what jumps out to you about Coach Rule that's that's maybe different than other recent coaches, or or maybe like another way to think about it is like what has he done to make you believe that the Huskers are ready to win multiple Big Ten championships starting this year? Well, I think the <laughs> thing that Rule does that to me is different from all the coaches that you mentioned is he's really comfortable in the fishbowl, right? You hear that term being in the fishbowl and, and not every college uh, football program is going to have uh, a common fan podcast or, or so much interest from outside. And so like, I think what we've seen at times, especially from some coaches that have come into Lincoln, maybe with not a lot of experience with Nebraska is they just get a little uncomfortable with the attention. I think that's safe to say that was Bill Callahan's situation he, he wanted a coach and he wanted to maybe not be the spotlight. Bo Pelini at times uh, was very much resistant of, of some of the attention that comes with that. There was the hot mic issue and, and some of the other things that had come up. Um, you know, Mike Riley was was more comfortable in that. But he was a West Coast guy who even when he took the job, he said, this is going to be our, our last adventure of, of him and his wife. And, and so, you know, there, there wasn't maybe that sense of urgency there as much. And then obviously with Scott Frost, he did come in with some, some baggage, quite honestly, about the fan base from when he was a a quarterback there and uh, getting benched and getting booed and all the things like that. So like you see Matt rule at, you know, pro wrestling events, you see Matt rule at storming the court at basketball games. You see Matt rule endorsing the local uh, restaurants out there and the local adult beverages like that. These are things that, really no Nebraska coach has ever done. Uh, And it's, and it's, you know, it's leveraging, I think one of the still the greatest assets of Nebraska football, which is its fan base. You know, he, he he hasn't sort of shied away from that or, or tried to try to turn it. He, he embraces it. And, And that's, I think that's truly who he is. If you talk to people from his stops at Temple and Baylor, like he's, he wants to be a man of the people. And so I think, that sort of thing sort of lets lets the football stuff breathe a little bit. It's maybe not quite as intense when you're talking about recruiting because he's out there and people kind of get him and get what he's all about. So I think it's sort of, you know, it's never relaxing around here, but I think it has just sort of created a little bit more of a sense of ease that that he's a guy that people can relate to. He's, he's really smart if you talk to him. And I think he just really embraces this culture more than we've seen at Nebraska in a long time. That's and music that's, to the ears of all common fans. Yeah. It's so, I, I find it so refreshing. I mean, you hear some of our older, older common fans, you know, tell, you know, stories and spin yarn about, you know, Bob Devaney being belly up at the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if coach rule needs to go there, but um, <laughs> I think, I think that, you know, the Nebraska coach being kind of out in the public more, and not having it being like, you know, like you just saw Sasquatch, you know, like I remember seeing Bo Pelini on a jog one time, you know, around like 17th and K or something like that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's Bo Pelini, you know, so, you're, you know, it's yeah. to just see Matt rule. It's like, oh, there he is again. 
And it's kind of that, I, to me, it feeds into that his whole OOU one of us thing too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, from the get go, I'm like, he's, he's being genius about this. So creating this kind of huge family of, of Husker nation, so to speak. And it sounds tacky, but um, I said, I said the same thing too about his Twitter game last year. Like just seeing the tweets he would put out about potential. And he did it in code too. He was using just emojis for like his tweets. And I love that because I was focused on him trying to figure out what he was trying to say. So he's he's good at PR that's for sure public relations is his deal I like the guy a lot yeah I'm such I'm such a degenerate that I went back and looked and and tried to see how long it took him to pass Scott Frost's tweet total when he was here <laughs> and it took him literally between like two and three weeks yeah to I eclipse what Scott Frost I did five years. like yeah. he just he, he has fun with it for sure well, speaking of Twitter and all the things that go on um, in the offseason, you know, we joke almost every offseason, it feels like that we're the offseason national champions. Um, but seriously, could could the Huskers have had a better offseason to this point? I mean, we, to me, we did a great job recruiting. You know, there's not really any staff turnover. Um, they seem to have, and they seem to have addressed just about every need that they've had. For sure. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different areas that you can point to. I mean, they kept Tony White through multiple rounds of schools uh, being interested in him. Most recently, UCLA, which happens to be his alma mater. So they keep their staff intact. And that was huge. Uh, Just look at some of the roster retention. I mean, Ty Robinson coming back for another year. I don't think people could have counted on that ahead of time. Uh, Isaac Gifford, you can kind of go down the list with some players that they brought back. Uh, and then you look at the portal too, and it wasn't nearly maybe as big in terms of quantity of players, but I mean, you bring in a guy like Micah Mazuka, who's a multi-year starter at power five programs and, and Hey, Nebraska has two openings at guard. He just still happens to play. You have obviously Dylan Riola coming in <clears throat> who makes the the dramatic 11th hour flip from Georgia to Nebraska. Uh, and it just so happens that that was a position of, of, True struggle. Let's just call it that. Yeah. From Nebraska last year. <laughs> it's a kind um, way to put it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think some of the other portal pieces that they brought in, uh, especially at receiver, Jamal Banks, Isaiah Nayor, um, Dante Dowdell at running back, I think could be the starter from day one. So like you're seeing an upgrade in talent, you're seeing the culture foundation being set. And now you're just building on that. You're building on what you had. You kind of have a good sense of what the defense can be and was, while the offense, um, you know, addressed all the areas that I think it could. Glenn Thomas, um, you know, from from his resume and our chance to, to talk with him in the media is going to be a good hire. I think that's structurally what they're looking for in terms of devoting somebody specifically to the quarterback position. So I don't know what you really look at this offseason and say, eh, you know, that, that wasn't great. I think they hit on most of their recruits. There's a lot of momentum. Uh, again, the culture piece is there. And now you you kind of ride this wave of momentum here into spring ball, and we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one question, as a common fan, and I bring this up, if you listen to our past episodes, Evan, you'll find that these two here could probably name the starting running back in 1982 uh, as as opposed to the seventh string running back in 1982. So they, they go pretty in-depth and know their stuff. I myself am a just basic common fan. So – I'm always curious, like when there's not on my television, when I'm not getting recruiting updates, I'm always curious about what the team's doing, what they're doing behind the scenes that I can't see. 
Um, so, you know, signing day was a big one that everybody was focused on when Dylan committed to us. Um, we all know about spring ball coming up in the next few months, schools in session, but what's the team doing right now? What are they focused on during this lull right now? Is it like winter conditioning or what, what are they doing right now? Yep. Winter conditioning. Uh, they, they'll call it mat drills, which is essentially, um, you know, high intensity team com competitive uh, different things that they do inside the Hawks center. Oftentimes this is when the strength coach really makes their money. I mean, this is, this is when they're working with them daily in the off season, they're grinding in the weight room, um, pushing each other. You know, they got the, the, the rock music or the rap music on high. Um, this is when guys are, yeah. are really pushing each other. And I think this is the time too, when, and you hear coach rule and some of the players talk about it, like, this is when those leaders really emerge. Um, you see who's competitive. You see who's at the front of the line. You see who's uh, maybe not going to tolerate substandard effort, that sort of stuff. So like when you hear about the single digit numbers being voted on in fall camp, like that's the sort of stuff that the players are figuring figuring out right now. And so uh, it, it's, it is kind of a, a different timeline a little bit for Nebraska this year. They're starting spring ball. I believe it's March 25th. So typically in the past, it's been early March, but just because of a number of different things, how the portal falls this year and different things, it's a little bit later. So there was a period there where, uh, you know, players are kind of having to be self-motivated, do things on their own, but now they're in the full swing of the winter conditioning. So, you know, again, when you start hearing in a few months about how guys are uh, bigger, faster, stronger than they've ever been. Who's emerging as leader? Like that's all what's happening right now. And it's there's that's kind of the irony of it is, uh, you know, you're, there's not a lot of reports right now coming out of the program just by the nature of it. But internally, it's a really important time for the team to kind of figure out different roles for guys moving forward. That's great. See, that's the stuff I like to hear. Right, that's the stuff I don't get to see or don't get to know about. So thanks for that. Yeah, Jeff, sure. Jeff, they're they're doing the same thing you're doing. They're lifting weights and like <laughs> oh, really okay. like wor right. working out very mm -hmm. very hard. Sure, that's exactly sure. what you're doing with your yep. with your winter. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm winter conditioning as well. You're correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of twelve ounce curls in the Langenberg house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of the strength coach Evan, it feels like every time we get a new head coach, they bring in a strength coach who is doing things nobody's done before. They're working <laughs> harder than they've ever worked. And it's always like, well, we got this recruit. He may not be ready yet, but give him a couple years with, you know, insert strength coach's name mm -hmm. and he'll be ready for the big 10 kind of thing. And then the coach gets fired and we learned that the team wasn't even doing squats just to, just to use one example from the, from the recent past. <laughs> um, so from your vantage point, like, are you able to get a handle on, and I, I know it's kind of less, a lot fewer public events during winter workouts, but are you able to get a handle on, like what they're doing or like if or how it might be different from previous years. I mean, I do think, I do think we saw uh, the culture and the foundation, which we talk about a lot in this program feels like, you know, it, it's going in the right direction. It's in a pretty good place after one year with coach rule. And I'm, I'm sure the strength coach has, has a lot to do with that going back to a year, a year ago right now, but just kind of curious what your perspective mm -hmm. is on that. Yeah, you know, oftentimes a strength coach, uh, their process is sort of like a state secret. I mean, I remember with Zach Duvall, uh, I, I wanted to interview him many times over the years. I think he maybe did a radio interview or two during his time at Nebraska. And I, a nice guy, 
but he would always just say, ah, eh, you know, this is about the players. It's not about me, which is kind of code in, 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 in a way for saying, I don't want to get into my process and, and put that out there publicly, which is fine. And that's their, their right. What, what interests me with strength coaches is more of the general philosophy. Like you have strength coaches who are going to try to, um, to, to bulk you up. You have strength coaches that will tailor their workouts differently, right? Like you're, the way that you're going to build up the lineman is going to be different from how you're going to try to build up a cornerback or whatever. And so kind of the approach is the thing that fascinates me now. And Matt Rule, his, his track record has been recruit speed, and then keep that speed and increase on that. And so like you look at how he had success at Temple and at Baylor, he was going head to head in recruiting battles with teams like Penn State at Temple and in Texas at Baylor. And, and he would say that oftentimes you're not going to win those battles, but what you can do is you can find guys who are just as fast, who are maybe a little bit less refined as football players and say, we're going to bring you in, we're going to develop the football aspect so that by the end, you're just as fast, if not faster than the four star that we missed out on. And we believe that we've developed you to the point that you're actually a better player. And that translated over time at Temple and Baylor. And so I think with the strength aspect of that, that's been the focus is how do we build these guys up, keep the explosion, keep the speed that they were recruited to. And so uh, on the line, it's, it's, Hey, let's get a big frame get them stronger, get them more explosive with the receivers, the skill position guys. It's been, you know, let's let's tone you up, make sure that you're ready to take some hits, but also that you don't lose that speed that they brought you in on. So I think that's the emphasis, generally speaking. How they go about that is sort of, sort of varies, and I don't think they're going to put that out there publicly. But I think that general philosophy uh, is the thing that can can really sort of mark the strategy that this team's trying to take to – you know, get to a bowl game, win the big 10, do all the things they want to do. Absolutely. Speed is a good thing. Um, well, you, you kind of mentioned the quarterback play um, last year, Evan, and how it le really left something to be desired. Um, and we were, I mean, even on this podcast, we were pretty critical of the offense last season. Uh, but we certainly got some reasons to hope that weren't there. Um, I chief, chief number one being uh, Dylan Raiola. Um, but the other one that you mentioned as well is Glenn Thomas, the new quarterbacks coach, co-offensive coordinator. Um, have you had a chance to meet Coach Thomas yet? Yep. He he spoke uh, a week or so ago. We got to talk with him for about 25 minutes or so. Okay. Um, so what do you, in your opinion, what is he bringing the equation? Um, you know, we know the offense has to get better this coming season if we're going to take a step forward. Um, how do you think he'll be able to help make that happen? Well, you know, his philosophy, as he has sort of laid it out, is meeting the quarterbacks where they are. And so it's going to be different for a true freshman than it's going to be for a, a junior or or whomever. And so I think that's kind of where it starts. And then you look at his resume and you see he's pretty well equipped to do that. I mean, he's coached Matt Ryan with the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL for some of the best seasons that he had as a professional. And then... A few years later uh, at Arizona State, he's coaching true freshmen, 18 and 19 year olds and trying to get them built up and, and had some success with that, too. And so, I, you know, he, he's got that breadth of experience. And so right now you talk about what's going on behind the scenes right now. One of those things 
is the quarterback's coach is meeting with two guys who should be getting ready for their high school proms and Daniel Kalen and Dylan Raiola, plus a guy in Heinrich Harburg who, yeah, he started eight games last year, but a year ago, you know, 18 months ago, he wasn't even in the mix right. uh, or in the coaching staff's plans at that time under Mickey Joseph and, and, and really Scott Frost. So like he's starting from scratch with this group. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Like the timing of this is actually pretty ideal in my opinion, where you don't necessarily have a, a junior who's entrenched as the starter or whatever. You, you're starting fresh. Everybody's starting on the same page. You're able to build up your playbook in such a way that it matches up with the strengths of these guys. And so, um, you know, he, I, I think that's all positive. And then just the demeanor of him too is different. I mean, you think about the quarterback coaches that Nebraska's had in recent years, uh, you know, Marcus Satterfield is is a different guy, just personality wise, than Glenn Thomas. He's a lot more aggressive. He, you know, he talked last year about wanting to have his quarterbacks put shoulders into guys, um, and he's different than Mark Whipple, and and they're all much different than Mario Verduzco before him. So like, <laughs> there's just a lot of different personalities. I think Glenn Thomas is the most ball coach of those guys. He you know, he, just, he just wants to talk ball. He's not there to pontificate. He's not there to make us laugh. He's there to, to talk football. And I think that's the sort of thing that Nebraska really needs as it's uh, working to shore up that position. Love don't, it. don't yeah. tell common fans about the relative inexperience of the quarterback room because it's 12 and 0 or bust in 2024. <laughs> and that's going to be led by the quarterback play. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Whatever you say, TJ. <laughs> that sounds good. It's about to go. <laughs> TJ said it. So, um, kind of to piggyback off of what you're talking about with Owens there, just we have high hopes obviously for the offense this year, just with obviously with recruits we've picked up and transfers we've brought in. And as Owens said, we were a little bit critical. I shouldn't say a little bit. The common fans ourselves were actually very critical of Marcus Satterfield and the offense last year, but it begs the question from a pro like you and what you've seen and what you know, does he deserve all of that? criticism or was this always going to be a work in progress type situation that was going to take a little bit? You know, I think the first year of the offense, I mean, you talk about like letter grades to me, it's an incomplete, like you just, you know, it in July, nobody was expecting that two months later, Nebraska would be running the option pitch. Like it's 1992. Like you just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have expected it. Right. Like they had a vision for Jeff Sims. It didn't work out. So they, tried to adjust to the strengths of the guys they had. And at the time that was Heinrich Harburg and, and, and they won some games and they got to the brink of a yeah. bowl game, but like, yeah, I, I think it's, it's just impossible to know exactly what the offense is going to look like moving forward. I mean, Matt rules talked mm-hmm. about making it positionless and having it look a little like the 49ers with some zone runs and, um, you know, intermediate passes while you're taking an occasional shot downfield. But like, it's, it's just hard to know. And if you think back a year ago when he's putting his staff together, uh, he, he wanted to hire a quarterback's coach and it didn't work out. And so he assigned the role to Marcus Satterfield and he's very, he, rules been very open back then. And now it's saying like, that wasn't the original vision. And so they go out and hire a guy like Glenn Thomas who has done that. And so I think that's part of it. I think just a, a general talent upgrade is part of it. Like it's, I think it's you're probably going to see fewer second guesses um, with a guy who can execute, um, you know, a crossing pattern or a guy who can who can 
yeah. find the completion instead of missing a guy overthrowing him or, or missing him to the right or whatever. Like I think ta a talent upgrade and Matt Rule's kind of joked about this, you know, a talent upgrade is going to make the coaching staff and their decisions look a little bit better. And I thought the other interesting thing that he said was when you look at Marcus Satterfield and his tendencies, like he's a very aggressive play caller and he's going to continue to be an aggressive play caller. But sometimes a quarterback, like when they come off the field, what they need is a reminder to maybe ease up a little bit or to, um, to, to look at something as opposed to, um, you know, being super aggressive to it. And so I'm curious, I, I think that that position shuffler, that coaching shuffle, putting Satterfield on the tight ends uh, is, is a very natural fit for him. I think that the tight ends are going to do better from that. I think Satterfield is going, going to, um, you know, be more of a natural fit in that spot. And then you put Glenn Thomas in, in with the quarterbacks, who's more, I don't know if you want to say cerebral, but maybe just has more of a, a breadth of, of kind of the approach that he wants to take. And so I think that'll make uh, things better too. So yeah, I mean, talent upgrade, a staff, sort of reconfiguration to what they want. Uh, I think this will be kind of that first chance that we're going to see what this offense is like moving forward. And so I think, yeah, the the judgments or the evaluations you make this, this coming year, to me, are going to be a lot more important than what we saw as they tried to piece it together last year. Gotcha. I will say that you've mentioned uh, no one could predict uh, running the option. Pretty sure Matt predicted us running the option, didn't you, Matt? You you've called that a couple. Well, of times. I yeah. I don't want to put you know toot my own horn too much, but I think <laughs> I more or less predicted the option pass, the belly the, the belly the, the belly G pass. option pass. <laughs> I, I said, mean, we, because we were already running the option. I said, well, now they got to run the option pass. Yeah. We're fairly <laughs> certain, you know, To was listening. And we yeah. reminded him, we reminded <laughs> yeah. him of the belly G option pass. And then he recommended it to the word got to rule. Uh, yep. And who, who's also listening probably. Yeah. Probably. He would qualify <laughs> as the uncommon fan, right? That's yes. right. That's exactly. Okay. Yeah. Touché. Yeah. Yes. Well played, sir. <laughs> All right, Evan game one against UTEP August 31, 2024 is Dylan Riola, the starting quarterback for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and he's got to prove it. He's got to go out this spring and do it. He has to be a leader. He has to do all those things. But there's really been no indication to this point that he hasn't been. I mean, you even just look at what he's done in transfer portal recruiting. He was the guy who was shaking uh, their hands, the visitors' hands, after Matt Rule. Um, you know, you look what he did at the Polynesian Bowl. You look what he did uh, his senior year in Georgia at a pretty – good high school program where, where the high school football is competitive. I think he threw one interception, 30 plus touchdown passes. So like there hasn't been anything that to this point, I think where you would pump the brakes other than to say that when you look at some of the stars across college football in recent years, oftentimes they don't start as freshmen or at least not right away. And they kind of can get their feet under them a little bit. And then they take off in that second half or maybe a sophomore is, uh, but you know, that's not Nebraska's situation. They needed somebody they don't have a lot of uh, veteran presence there. I think Heinrich Harburg will have a role in the offense. You think you think back to the opener last year when he caught a pass against Minnesota, and I think that signaled some intent that, that he has a speed and toughness that they want to get on the field. Uh, and then, you know, Daniel Kalen, I think, uh, has talent too. He was an elite, elite 11 quarterback. You saw what he did out of Bellevue West. And then, you know, all you have to do is point to the history of Nebraska football recently and say – uh, every year, the, the number two guy gets significant snaps. That just how that's how it goes with injuries and and 
you know, life in the meat grinder, the big 10. So I think he probably plays a role at some point, but yeah, I mean, uh, Royola with his pedigree, with the NIL resources that they undoubtedly sent his way. Um, and just all the stuff he's shown this off season. I don't see, you know, a, a situation where maybe he's not that guy on opening day. Right. Well, kind of pivoting then from, from offensive talk to defensive, um, you know, we, we became gigantic fans of Tony White this last season. I think most Husker fans did. Um, and he's really a rising star in, in the coaching business. Um, definitely worked wonders with our defense in year one. And as we've kind of kind of talked about, he's been a serious candidate for multiple uh, multiple jobs, most recently UCLA. He's probably go going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, we assume we're in the clear for, for 2024, at least. Do you think we can bank on him at the, any more after this season? Do you think he'll be stick around for more than just this 2024 season? Or do you think it's it's probably he's, he's going to be moving on? I think the best bet is he'll probably have a head coaching job in the next 10 to 11 months would be my guess. Um, I think that Nebraska was quite honestly lucky to keep him through this cycle, especially it was kind of weird because like a lot of the jobs that came open, uh, he had connections with or were on the yeah. West Coast, like Syracuse, San Diego State, UCLA, UCLA. Like those were all programs that you could you could you know reasonably see him going back to. And so, you know, I think if the defense next season does what it did last season, he'll be an obvious candidate for a lot of people. And not just because of the scheme and the on-field success, but like you talk to him, he's got uh, you know, magnetic personality. He's well-spoken. He's thoughtful. He's uh, he doesn't have a huge ego, right? Like he'll go out of his way to say, it's not his defense. It's, it's the the staff's defense and they, that other assistants have brought things and elements to it that have helped it be what it is, but there's no doubt. I mean, he's the head guy. I mean, I talked with Ethan Piper uh, a few weeks ago and, you know, who's the outgoing offensive lineman. And he's, he even said, you know, after a year of, scrimmaging and, and working against it every day is like I still don't get what it's all about and I think the the tricky part it's kind of two-pronged like the, on the one hand you've got like these guys who uh, are sort of defensive linemen but they're, they're sort of edge rushers and they're sort of linebackers and so you don't know like where they're going and then and, and they'll, they'll move around and, and to hear Piper say it, you know, he's like, sometimes they'll play it straight up but then they'll do weird things and they'll move guys into different spots and you don't know how to handle it and pretty soon as an, as a blocker, you're more worried about like where the pressure is coming from and who is it going to be. And you're worrying less about just hitting the guy in front of you and, and creating a hole. So I think some of it's been about development for sure, but I think a lot of it too has been about just confusing the offense and not knowing where that stuff's coming from and getting opponents to think about what it is as opposed to reacting to it. It's just made them a step slower and that's made the, the, the defense, um, you know, dynamic in the way it was. And so Tony White's the head of that thing. Uh, it'll be curious kind of what Nebraska would do if and when he does move on, if they promote from within or if they go try to find another 335 disciple. Uh, but for now, you know, you enjoy him while he's here. You never know. Maybe it's not the right job in the next cycle. Um, but certainly you're kind of on borrowed time with him at Nebraska. And at this point, I think you just, you enjoy kind of what it is and, and we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty cool. Co you know, Coach Rule openly talks about 
wanting his assistants to go get head coaching jobs or go get bigger jobs. And he reportedly, at least, I can't remember if this was an actual news source or like message board geniuses or something, but reportedly was like <clears throat> putting in a good word with the folks at UCLA on behalf of Tony White. Yeah. Um, which I think is pretty, I don't know, it seems unique to me of, of a head coach to do. It's certainly like, it's not something he needs to do and obviously would cause a disruption in his staff. He'd have to find a new coordinator, as you were just saying. But what does that tell you about Matt Rule? It tells me he walks the walk as much as he talks the talk. Like, you know, first of all, like, yeah, you want your head coaches or your assistant coaches to move on. I mean, that just is the sign of a healthy program, one that grows. Like you, you look at Nick Saban's time at Alabama, he was replacing coordinators and assistants like every other year. So I think that's, part of what you're looking for but like the walk the walk part to me is it, it stands out because like I think any coach would tell you yeah we want our guys to move on and I want the best for my staff and so on and so forth but it is a different thing when you're the head coach and it's in February and your your defensive coordinator who you've had a ton of success with is up for a job and you 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 proactively call the the athletic director at the school and say, yeah, I think he would be a great hire. Oh, and by the way, that's at a school that is on your schedule next year, and that will probably be on your schedule for many years to come in the Big Ten. So, like, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, weight to something like that, and for sure. And you know, it's 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 like two things can be true at once, right? Like, you don't want to lose your guy, but at the same time, you want that guy to have. Uh, what he does acknowledged and, and you want to have that pay off. I think what's what I also think about that though, is that Matt rule is really good at playing the long game. And so, yeah, you know, you're going to lose Tony, right? Tony white at some point. What does, what, if you're another a rising assistant coach somewhere and Matt rule calls you up and says, Hey, you want to come to Nebraska? You can bet that they are going to be aware of the fact that he's going to stump for you and that he's going to help you advance in your own career. So like, yeah, it, it may, there may be some short-term effects, consequences when you lose some guys. But I also think as we go along in Nebraska, and, and Matt Rule's time at Nebraska goes along, it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of assistance he's able to bring in when openings arise, just because of how much he has their backs. Um, so we'll see. I, I do think there's some value in that. It's not something that you realize or, or can see right now. But I do wonder in a year or two what the value of that could end up being. I like that you said that Nick Saban and replacing assistants and coordinators. Maybe Matt Rule can have his own. Maybe Nebraska will have their own "quote unquote" Matt Rule coaching re rehabilitation clinic, like Nick <laughs> Saban does. Um, one I thing I, wanted, jump... I, I thought you were going to drop in a Tommy Reese reference. Well, there, I mean, he, I, I was trying to be <laughs> humble. Tommy Reese, I, if, just real quick, Evan, I, I like Notre Dame too. And these yeah. guys give me shit about it all the time. But, <laughs> you know, Tommy Reese is a great coach. He's doing good things over there in Alabama. They'll be just fine, TJ. Isn't he uh, like an NFL tight ends coach now or something? I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, real quick, just because um, I can't get through an episode without at least mentioning the CFIC. Um, 18 year olds tend to get a lot of pressure put on them when they start at a power five conference school, especially one like Rayola, um, and how big of a land he was. Um, he's been referred to the savior of the program. There's a lot of pressure there, kind of like LeBron James being the chosen one. 
or in our case on the show, we refer to him as Luke Skywalker, where he has been sent to defeat the evil empire of the college football industrial complex. Um, and we're just along for the ride. So I just want to get an idea if you have any ideas or info about how does the coaching staff view the importance of, of landing Dylan, because I, us as fans, I mean, obviously we're, you know, beside ourselves that we got a five-star recruit like that. And one of the biggest ones we've gotten in a while, but kind of get your curious on what you think the views of the coaching staff are of that, that importance of that land. Well, I guess, first of all, if Dylan Rowell is Luke Skywalker, then his dad would be. <laughs> we discussed, we discussed this, but yeah, Anakin, was, we've a, discussed Anakin this. was a good man. All right. Yeah. He was a good man. He just was tempted and seduced by the dark side. He came back. He's good again. We were all not. We're, we've all never suggested good. that Dominic Rowell went to the dark side. We've never suggested that. Okay. No, be clear. I'm just seeing how far that analogy went. But no, it's, uh... <laughs> we we went out of our way to clear to specify that. In fact, okay, great. You guys are all over it. Um, Absolutely. But no, I, I think you know, Glenn Thomas was asked about it. He's like, ah, eh, you know, I'm not even going to even bring it up to to Dylan. I think Matt Rule has talked with him about it and just said, you know, be be a be an 18 year old. Like, do your do your thing. Don't worry about it. Sometimes that's easier said than done. I think what if you see like a future where Dylan Rayola settles right in and takes off with the job and handles all the pressure that comes with being the Nebraska quarterback. I think that starts with his own upbringing and the fact that Dom, you know, his dad was uh, in the NFL for, you know, close to a decade and that he uh, you know, that Dylan grew up around some of Dom's old quarterbacks. I think Matthew Stafford and some others uh, that he was able to, rub elbows with, train with, talk with, like, and, and when you have a guy like that uh, in Dylan, who's coming in, like college football suddenly isn't the biggest thing in the world because he's been around professional athletes and former professional, professional athletes his entire life. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's certainly a different thing when you're the guy and you uh, are in the thick of it, but like, you know, Dylan's been going to uh, national showcases and major five-star camps and things like that for three or four years. He's played yeah. high school football in Arizona and in Georgia and, you know, has been around high level athletes too. So I think like when you mix sort of what he's gone through physically, just in terms of the competition and the, the, the fact that he's grown up around people who have set him right mentally, I think that all, really um adds up to something special and i think you know like i think that's honestly part of what makes a five star a five star is not just physical ability but like what are the intangibles and kind of like i mentioned earlier like it's no coincidence that he was the second guy after matt rule to talk to a number of these transfers and uh that he has a vision for the program and i think it resonates too that he decided he didn't want to go to georgia and be another cog in a in an all-star team but he wanted to start a legacy and do something different somewhere else. Like to me, that suggests a different way of thinking that suggests somebody who's not just looking for the easiest path to the NFL, but looking to be great now. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing Nebraska wants. I think we talked about Matt rule and kind of his uh, comfort in the fishbowl. I think Dylan Raiola kind of has some of those vibes you see him out interacting with the crowds and, and, and all this. So I think all that kind of comes together. It's, it's just as much between the ears as is the physical stuff. And I think at least on the outside, what he's showed so far, it's a lot of encouragement that this could go smoother um, maybe than 
some of their quarterbacks at other schools. Awesome. Heisman uh, we, next we year. So. Got it. Heard you loud and clear. Heisman <laughs> next year. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, great, great stuff, Evan. And I just have a, I have one thing that's been, that I've been curious about uh, before we move on to our, our special waiver period of the, of the show where we talk about baseball um, you know, we've had Michael Severe on, we've had Tom Chattel on and some, some Nebraska, you know, kind of press members. And I thought about this after we had them on. So I'm just curious. I know I've seen a little bit of rumblings over the years of, of what we, we talk about. Let me preface this with, we talk about food quite a bit on this prop on this podcast. <laughs> we love food. Um, I'm just curious on, on game day in the press box. I've seen little rumblings and, you know, the one day they'll have chili and cinnamon rolls, one day they'll have something else. What is your favorite thing that has been served in the press box? And what is your least favorite thing that's been served in the press box? Well, uh, first of all, <laughs> I don't know how, how in-depth you guys want to go on some of this. Stuff, but <laughs> as, as deep as, as you want. As in-depth as you want all go. ears, baby. <laughs> so I have nothing against Valentino's, the institution, but... When you have it every single week, twice a week at the at the uh, press conference on uh, Monday, and then as well as post game uh, on football games, um, it the 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 novelty of it wears off fairly quickly. So, like, I'm in a period between I think you know December first and the end of fall camp, I'm not touching Valentino's. Like I got to build up my tolerance <laughs> for it again. So, and, and look, I'm very grateful that they, that Nebraska put something out there. They sure. don't have to do that. But like, that's a, that's a me issue that I continue to work through. Um, but game days, they do have different meals. Uh, usually late in the year, if it's Iowa uh, in Lincoln, or if it's another, another November game, that's when they do the chili and cinnamon roll combo uh, they always befuddle the visiting media that come in and say, you know, what is this? Uh, so that's always kind of fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think they have uh, probably the chicken Parmesan would be the one uh, where I, I pump my fist a little bit and say, OK, okay. you know, let's do this. They have some, oh. some fresh veggies on the side and, uh, you know, some other side of some kind. So, like, I would say the chicken Parmesan is probably my favorite. Every now and again on game day, they'll still throw out the pizza and it's like, you know, Really? Like, <laughs> let's shake it up a little bit. But so I would say I have to say the vowels uh, would, would be the one where I, I emerge a little crestfallen. But uh, give me the chicken Parmesan on the other end. And then at halftime, they set out, you know, popcorn um, or some cookies, things like that. So you like I will I will say we've joked about this before, like in the in the media, like there's it's like, you know, you know how people say when you're in a casino, like you don't know what time it is and you know, you kind of do things there that like you wouldn't normally do in a setting. Press box is that way, but with food, like you could be like Colorado last year, we're at Colorado and the game kicks off at 10 local time, mountain time. And you're up there and you're like, you know, I want a soda. I want a cookie. I want a sandwich. And you're, and we have to stop and be like, at what other point in your day ever do you want these things? Do you, are you, are you seeking right. out a hot dog at 10 AM? Like <laughs> hell, like we have to kind of hold each yep. other accountable a little bit. Cause it's all sitting there. You have to have a little, uh, little accountability, a little self-control there for sure. Does, does every other, when you go for a way to cover away games, can you expect food in every press box or is that kind of a hit or miss kind of thing? There's something. And some okay. schools have good reputations and some don't. Uh, I what's like the, what's the big 10 school with the worst reputation. 
probably, in my opinion, this is my opinion, uh, probably Wisconsin, which which is kind of disappointing because I Really? think the state of Wisconsin has outstanding restaurant Yeah. options. They Madison, don't have like they don't have like brats and cheese curds cheese and spotted curds, cowbell come on. maybe. you would think it's it's kind of hot dogs and sitting in in you know lukewarm water and it's uh, little salads, uh, you know it's. It's just not great. Um, I think Illinois is it would be my sleeper pick. They have little uh, little custard uh, containers you can get, like vanilla or chocolate custard. They set out some New York style pizza. Um, you know, I, Do, I think do they that's that's probably up there. do they have any any tombstones? No tombstone <laughs> pizza. No. All right. Well, last fall we were we were speculating that maybe Burt Bielema set fake Memorial Stadium on fire the week of the Nebraska game because he was watching film late at night trying to figure out how he was gonna stop the Heinrich Harburg led juggernaut, kind of stressing out. And he forgot his tombstones were in the oven. And set the whole place on fire. We did. We kind of. I don't. We don't know. We haven't confirmed that yet. We kind of thought maybe that was Not part confirmed. of. Yeah, part of what happened at, at Illinois last I'll fall. look into that. Do some investigative Yeah. uh, journalism. Please do. We would like Great. to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, um, fantastic insight, Evan. If you have time, we'd love to ask you a couple of baseball questions. Yeah, Um, sure. so the Husker baseball team starts one and two on the weekend. Um. They win their opener against Baylor. I think everybody's pretty excited about that. And then they lose kind of two nail biters back to back. Uh, one against Texas Tech, which is a top 25 team. And then another one against our old friend, the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, you know, if you're glad, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Did they go in the ninth tied against Texas Tech? And they went into the ninth up one against Oklahoma. That's right. And so, and then they ended up losing both in the ninth. And so, If you're a glass half full kind of person, you'd say, hey, they look good. They can probably play with some of the, you know, anyone in the country. Is the, these are some of the best teams in the country, warm weather schools, that kind of thing. Um, they just got to figure a few things out. If you're a glass half empty type of person, you know, you look at the late inning meltdowns. You know, we've certainly seen this before in given years, you know, especially against Oklahoma. I think they had like a three run lead as late as the sixth or the seventh inning, something like that. And they're leading going into the ninth. And maybe a little a little down on on the team. So just kind of, what's your early impression of the Nebraska baseball team? What do you what do you see? I assume you were there in person this last I was, week. yeah. Yeah. Yep. What what you kind of see? What's your takeaway? Uh, you know, I get it. Like I got a lot of reaction after the Oklahoma game about, you know, here we go again and uh failures, part of the Will Bolt era and all this. I do think, you know, you look under the hood just a little bit and I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. I mean, again, like both games went into the ninth. Nebraska was a pitch away from beating Oklahoma. They were, you know, a clutch hit away from beating Texas Tech. They, they, you know, two, three plays go a different way. They go three and zero on the weekend, and everybody's, you know, super excited about it. So, like, I, I think I break it down into two things. I look at one, what was the, what was the situation with runners in scoring position, and they go six for thirty-two on the weekend. That's under two hundred. Even typically an average team in that category over the course of a season is going to hit 250. So like that's like two more clutch hits. If Nebraska gets two more clutch hits over that weekend, they, they probably go two and one. Maybe they go three and oh. And so that's going to even out like that's part of that's just baseball. They didn't get a couple hits to fall. They had some liners to defenders uh, in a tight in a tight game. Like that's the kind of thing that can make a difference. So I think that's one. And then I think the other thing is. 
this is a this is a deeper pitching staff than they had a year ago through three games. Their ratio of strikeouts to free passes, walks, and hit batters was like one to one, which is terrible. You don't you don't want to do that. This year uh, through three games, it's like at a three to one ratio. It's like it was like twenty to five. So like that's that's really good, and you can build on that. And so I think some of it's about figuring out roles for guys. Like I don't think maybe the, the guy who started on Sunday for Nebraska, I don't I wonder if he's gonna start for Nebraska next next weekend. Um some of the the players they brought in late in high leverage spots, I don't know if those are gonna be the same guys next weekend. So the staff or the the coaching staff's been pretty upfront about saying they feel like they have depth, but they don't know necessarily how the roles all figure out. And so a weekend like this really tells you, hey, these are the guys in the circle of trust. These are the guys who maybe need to earn that in the midweek a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes guys who shine in scrimmages and in workouts, it doesn't always translate to the, to the game. It just, that's just kind of how it is. So I think you're going to see them kind of figure out who they can trust a little bit better. You get a few more clutch hits and I think you can, you can take off still with this team. I think there's a lot, a lot of positives. Obviously you wish, uh, they could have done a little bit better just for RPI purposes. Those are games that would have been really helpful for them to have for the selection committee in May. But, you know, you still got, what, 53 scheduled regular season games to go. So there's still a lot of opportunity to, to move forward. Yeah, I mean, after winning the Big Ten in 2021, I think everyone was kind of like, OK, we're just going to we're just going to run the Big Ten when it comes to baseball. And then they kind of, you know took a couple, took a steps back for a couple of years. Um, and then, it, you know, it seems like would love to hear your take on this, but it seems like coach Bolt has, has kind of been really intentional about uh, making some changes this year, overhauled the roster. I didn't recognize a ton of the names just from kind of following on Twitter over the weekend. And obviously old friend, Rob Childress is back as Nebraska's pitching coach. I mean, that, that's a, that's a huge, hugely valuable asset in that in that dugout given his experience and the success that he's had um but you know what what are they doing differently or i mean i, I would you say they've they've sort of intentionally altered their approach a little bit here oh yeah a little bit i think offensively you're gonna see less power uh, and you're gonna see more kind of what we saw this weekend like uh hit and runs steals uh trying to manufacture runs and, and, and putting the pressure on defense. I, I think that's the sort of offense they had in 21 when they won the big 10. So they're going back to that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I have thought that the, the key for Nebraska for a long time, like when you look at some of the, the best teams in college baseball, like the very best teams are going to have stars and they're going to have a ton of depth. Uh, Nebraska has often had stars, but they have struggled i think finding a lot of depth especially when it comes to pitching over the years even in team in years when they've gone to regionals and they get into that third or fourth game and you're like ah who are they going to throw like how are they going to piece this together and you don't know to me that was the thing coming into this year because you know nebraska was not close to being an at large team last year and you look at what they they lost they lost a first round draft pick a second round draft pick and two starting pitchers who went in the top 10 rounds that's that's really good that's like the best draft hall Nebraska's had in 15 years. And what did it get them? It didn't get them a ton because they had nobody to throw in the midweek and they had, they didn't feel great about their Sunday starter until midway through the season. And it was too late by then. So like, to me, the question was less about who's going to be your ACE or who's going to be your big bat. And it was more about, do you have enough depth to feel good about your Tuesday and your Wednesday guys 
do you have enough depth that you can put in an outfielder or another bat uh, to give a guy a day off and like you don't drop off too much? And I, I think they do. I, so like to me, it's about roster spots 21 to 40 as much as it is spots one to 20. And I do think that they've shown that there's more depth there. And that's come through recruiting. That's come through a little bit of a more of a focus on NIL. Uh, I think that's come through, quite honestly, people wanting to play for Rob Childress, especially on the pitching side. I mean, there have been half a dozen pitchers who've committed and are now on the team because directly because he's the pitching coach. So I think you add all that up and, you know, we'll see. We'll have to see how that plays out. I think Grand Canyon this weekend is a really interesting uh case study because it is four games and if you have the depth like that's when it shows up in those last couple of games um so I, that to me is what i would watch like if i'm if i'm a common baseball fan like how do they do in the midweek how do they do uh you know when their stars aren't on the mound how does that compare with what the other team's putting out there for sure um well that should be interesting i know i don't i don't claim to know a ton of what's going on here and what's happening in the offseason in the big 10 baseball wise but I did see over the weekend a top 25 and I was kind of surprised to see Iowa in there. Um, so, you know, I guess it, the competition to me is, is definitely stiffer in the big 10 than I had ever assumed it would be, you know, like TJ mentioned 2021 and, you know, going back to when we joined the big 10, it was like, Oh my God, we are going to dominate the big 10. We're going to win the big 10 every single year. And it just hasn't really worked out. I mean, Indiana's had a few good years. Michigan's had a few good years. Do you think, this year that Nebraska has a shot to win the big 10. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think they have a shot every year, quite honestly, just because of the resources that they put toward the sport that, that not a lot of other teams do. Um, you know, Iowa kind of is getting there. Their field isn't anything close to what a market park is. Um, you know, Indiana is somewhat comparable. Michigan is somewhat comparable, but like, just with in terms of the resources and certainly in terms of the attendance and the fan interest, uh, you know, Nebraska should be in that upper middle class every year. Uh, the year that they didn't go in 22, uh, they didn't go to the Big Ten tournament. That's that's a disaster. Like that's the, the low bar needs to be making the Big Ten tournament top eight just because of the things that you put toward that. Um, and it's been you know, the last few years have been different with the transfer portal coming out of uh, the pandemic. There's been, it's been more commonplace every year to turn over like half your roster. That was never the case before. You know, you're usually right. trading out 10 to 12 guys. Now you're talking like 25 every year and you're having to rebuild. And and so I think you're seeing, a, you've seen a little bit more parity in the big 10 because of that. Um, but, you know, you talk about when they joined back in you know 2011 like back then, the Big Ten was a one-bid baseball league. Like they get one team into the tournament every year. And that league has grown in part because of the football money. So like you get the, the major television deals that the Big Ten struck. And that money sort of flows off into other sports. And so I think you've seen uh, that growth in the sport in part because of the, the money that has come from football. And then you add Maryland and Rutgers who have been pretty good baseball members over the last few years too. So it's been a, a, a league that's changed a lot since Nebraska's there, kind of similar to football in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the standard still needs to be at the very least, you need to be playing meaningful, meaningful baseball in May. You need to be in that at large conversation so that you don't have to win the big 10 tournament just to make the tournament every year. Right. Well, now adding the, the four pack 12 schools too, is going to kind of, I would think bolster, uh, Big Ten baseball a little bit too. So it's going to be very interesting. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it will be interesting. I, I wonder how much those schools will bring the Big Ten up versus how much the league will bring those schools down, because I think we saw that with Nebraska <laughs> a little bit, quite honestly, where you thought they were going to kind of run roughshod through the Big Ten. And I think you kind of found that, you know, recruits aren't as excited about playing Purdue and Northwestern as they are going to Texas or, or playing AM or Oklahoma. So like, I'll be curious if you're a West Coast kid, like, do you want to as much go to UCLA knowing that half the time you're traveling two time zones away to play in cold weather in March? Like, I don't know. Uh, I think that'll be a really interesting thing to see uh, kind of which way, you know, who adjusts to who when it comes to that. Matty O's a big Pac-12 after dark fan in the fall. Matt, would you <laughs> watch Big Ten baseball after dark? on on saturdays in march absolutely i would tj <laughs> absolutely oh outstanding all right evan you've been more than generous with your time matt jeff any final questions for our distinguished guest here today no sir thank you thank you for joining us yeah evan. i wanted to just a quick recap just so the common fans know what we all hit on today and covered uh we're running the table next year in football rail is winning the heisman trophy dominic is not darth vader just to make that abundantly clear. And Valentino's Pizza can kind of get a little bit old, and let's be honest, it's a little overpriced, too. Wow. You said it, man. <laughs> yeah. Evan did not reason. say that. Jeff <laughs> Jeff has certain George Costanza-like traits. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it's, it's overpriced. Uh, it's not a lie if you believe it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yes! <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Evan. He is at Evan Bland O W H on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Husker fans, you all, you know, common fans, but, uh, great follow. If you're not following him already for all your Husker news, really appreciate your time, Evan. Enjoy. Are you going to, is it in Arizona grant the baseball weekend? And is it at grand Canyon? It is at grand Canyon. I will not be there. I will be watching oh. on ESPN plus like the common fan. There you go. Love He's a it. common fan oh, like all of us. One of us. Um, all right. Well, thanks again, Evan. We'll be back at you soon, common fans. In the meantime, GBR for life.